Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of The Living Spirit, Answers for Healing and Infinite Love, and I am delighted today to welcome Deborah Meal, author of Joyful Transformation, which integrates the principles of dialectical behavior therapy with the tenets of the New Thought Movement to guide readers through the 22 key areas of life transformation. Hello, Deborah, and thank you for joining us today to look for ways to understand behavior and improve the quality of life. Thank you so much for having me. Deborah. As listeners of Healing from Within well know, my guests and I share intimate experiences with various dimensions of life energy or universal source uh, to create an environment for self-investigation and self-mastery of emotions in order to improve health and relationships and a better alliance with both spiritual and physical life concerns and to truly value life in all its complexities. In today's episode, Deborah Meal, who is an interdenominational pastoral counselor, dialectical behavior therapy skills trainer, and a board-certified hypnotherapist, and also the founder of the Meal Foundation, which is a nonprofit residential treatment center in Texas, she also speaks at national conferences on the topic of bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder with substance abuse. And we will discuss finding life's purpose, defeating debilitating irrational beliefs and negative self-talk, and discover healthy sleep hygiene and a brain-health diet, as well as recognizing and coping with triggers that derail progress towards authentic change. Deborah, I always love to ask my guests to think back to childhood and perhaps remember a person, a place, an event that might have been an influence uh, for them developing into the adult they are now with the interests and values that reflect the work and lifestyle they now enjoy or you now enjoy. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Um, I will... I will think, um, I think probably, um, I was, um, raised, uh, by my grandmother, uh, and I was an only child, uh, that had been born to an only child. My mother died when I was two, and, uh, my grandmother, uh, actually raised me, uh, with my grandfather kind of part time. And, um, I will say that I probably started down this path because um, it was a very turbulent childhood. Um, she had a very turbulent personality, um, and um, there was always a lot of chaos um, going on in my home. And usually, um, I think I felt like I had been born into a crazy family, and I could not figure out why uh, the adults behaved the way that they did. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that, no. because I thought the same thing as a child, because no. I said, what. Well, because we were sensitive children, we already had a spiritual sense of soul purpose and and mm-hmm. may, maybe had had many past lives. So we were watching some of the action and saying, is this for real? I mean, why yeah. don't they understand? I, uh, I had a very similar right. feeling as a child, even though my yeah. family and was not dysfunct, was not the way you're describing yours. Yeah. 
Um, and so I, I think that um, for me, um, it was coming to understand um, that this is, you know, this is what it was supposed to have been um, to actually get me where I am, you know, today. So it took a, a, a bit of radical acceptance and understanding that this was the reality that I lived in and it just wasn't going to look like Leave it to Beaver. Um, <laughs> none of that was going to happen in my home. So um, I needed to figure out a set of skills, coping skills and that kind of thing um, to deal with reality the way that it was presented to me. Absolutely. And you did a great job because you wrote a wonderful book and you're helping <laughs> and you're helping well, a you. lot of people uh, with all the uh, modalities and skills and understanding uh, you've acquired along the, the way. Now, Joyful Transformation is a psycho-spiritual self-help guide. What does psycho-spiritual mean? Many people would not be able to really, uh, you know, give a definition for that. And how does it apply to Joyful Transformation? Well, psycho-spiritual means that um, there's a certain psychology, um, again, in, in self-help. Um, there's a certain psychology um, that, we, that we have. And when we can understand our own thoughts and behaviors, um, then we can also understand our actions or lack of actions. So the psycho-spiritual means that I take my psychology um, about myself that I know and I apply it to my spiritual beliefs, whatever that is, um, and then I have a better and clearer understanding of myself. So um, the psycho-spiritual transformation is about looking at those things. If we believe that we are divine children of God, um, then we have that core goodness of ourselves on the inside. And we, once we really fully embrace that co co core divinity that we have, however you want to call that, um, in the Christian language, it's a, it's a course, you know, called the Holy Spirit. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Anytime you come in contact with your core goodness, um, then you're able to look at the behaviors that don't match up to that core goodness, and you're able to then make changes. But until you accept your core identity of that goodness, it's difficult to make changes in your life. So because, again, our behaviors... Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Unless you accept yourself as a soul being having a physical life, it's very hard to deal with the challenges of the physical world. And I would say 80% of the people don't really uh, truly know. They may think they know, but till you truly know your soul and that awareness and mindfulness is a very important, you talk about this a great deal, is, is mm -hmm. a, an important process in understanding what happens outside of us and mindfulness is centered on what's happening within us or our soul presence. And you also say our thoughts and beliefs equal our feelings and emotions, which equal our actions and reactions. And it's all interconnected because thoughts really do set up our world and our reality and uh, we want to learn to be mindful and aware of truly who we are and uh, what are our needs. Not necessarily so much what we want, but that's from the physical world. But what are our needs as a soul experiencing this life to raise to a level of higher compassion and love? But let's go on to what inspired you to write Joyful Transformation with your co-author, Kristen Smith. At the beginning of your book, you give a list of very 
many wonderful instrumental guides or people that you uh, worked with or learned from. Mm-hmm. And I was very um, impressed with the way you described their effects on you and what you were interested in learning as a result. So tell us what inspired you to write this book. I think more than anything, I believe that distress tolerance, um, learning to be able to tolerate your distress, as, as you say in this human form, is absolutely critical. So we know um, that about 800,000 people a year commit suicide because they, don't, they cannot tolerate their own distress. And so yes. my thought was in writing this that um, we don't teach those skills anymore. Our grandparents and great-grandparents taught those skills of distress tolerance, um, and we're not teaching that anymore. And more and more people absolutely don't know how to cope um, with the reality that they're in. They don't look at problems as being opportunities. So one of the things that I had heard from a lot of my clients is about how hard change is. There's actually no scientific proof that change is hard. No. And I said, so, but if you continue to tell yourself that change is hard, then change is going to be nearly insurmountable. But if you look at um, things in your life that are no longer effective and you actually decide to make change, joyful transformation um, can then happen. It's our attitude about change um, that we need to change um, to be able to get to that higher level of consciousness that you speak of. Right. You really can't change anyone else. You can only develop and grow your own awareness and mindfulness and uh, soul respect and love for life. And other people benefit watching, but you can't change them. Now, I like how you said there are only four ways to solve any problem. Solve it, mm-hmm. change how you feel, tolerate it, or stay miserable. You know, mm-hmm. we, we do right. we do have the choice. Many mm-hmm. people who have irrational um, ideas and haven't learned to eliminate some of those uh, or irrational fears uh, stay mm-hmm. stay miserable. So please tell us something about the many irrational fears people get caught up with. You gave such a wonderful list, and uh, mm-hmm. I remember thinking some of these things were true at some point in my life and then learn that by saying what I'm saying that we can only change ourselves, and we're interconnected to everyone else and we have a life plan and nothing's random and we are spirit and we are contained within universal spirit of God and and that is within us after learning these things of course I was able to let go of many of these irrational fields but you listed them so so wonderfully and clear so just tell us something about that. Sure. Albert Ellis um, in the 1950s came up with a list. Albert Ellis was a psychologist, and he came up with a list of the 10 most common irrational beliefs. And one of them, for example, is that my friends and my family must love and accept me all of the time. And if you believe that, then you're going to be living their life and not your life because nobody's going to love and accept us 100% of the time. So we become miserable then, uh, living and doing what other people want us to do instead of, again, what's a, what we need to be doing on a solo level. Yes. And so when we make choice, choices outside of our family values or outside of our community values, um, then lots of times our family puts a lot of pressure on us for us to conform. And when that happens, we become depressed and we become anxious. 
we become a lot of things. Um, and then usually we run off to the doctor and decide that we need more medication because, again, we're not living on purpose. We're not living our truth. And so a lot of people, um, as they begin to live their truth and they start to, again, deal with your, their irrational beliefs, which, again, um, uh, coincide with their emotional distress, actually are able to make changes. Yeah, actually they're not living within their body or their physical life. They're sort of disassociated from it because they they have expectations for themselves and and their other people's expectations don't jive with their life plan or destiny and it becomes a conflict, a, a conflict between the soul and the physical world or ego. And uh, many, many people who are not able to accept what we're saying, that there is a spiritual component or physical, actually it's physical, the energy of our um, heart and our brain and impulse is what creates this physical world. And it is all a downloading of spiritual energy. And if you cannot get that, that fact, right? But if you can't get that fact, if you think it's all about uh, what's happening around you and to you instead of what is coming from within you that you're creating with your thoughts and your actions, uh, then you're in conflict with the two parts or the duality of life. Really, it's only one, oh, you know, the unity, but, mm-hmm. but people divide it. And they make it physical or spiritual, and it's it's really united and unified. So that is the problem. But there are also five steps you gave for disputing and eliminating irrational fears. The first one was let's just write down the facts of the situation, because one might be a fact, and the other might be our imagination running wild with itself and creating a whole different scenario which could really cause us problems. Uh, So tell us anything else about these steps for disputing these ideas. Sure. Um, You have to know if the fact is in fact true. So I tell all my clients that you can believe that the moon's made out of green cheese, but that doesn't make it so. So you have to have facts that actually back up what it is um, that you're saying. So, for example, you can say, my mother hates me. And um, to that, I say, okay, can you give me some examples of what that looks like? Um, And most of the time, you know, people love us to the best of their ability. Yes. Um, Rarely do we find somebody that's actually been born into a family where they're actually despised and hated. It does happen, but it doesn't happen as often as we think that, again, because somebody does a particular thing to us, that they must then hate us. So we look at those beliefs like that, and then we challenge that belief. And again, Byron Katie has done a lot of work in regards to that. Is it true? And how do you know that your thought is true? And then if it's not true, how, how would you conduct your life? How would you feel inside if it wasn't true? Um, who would you be? Who would you be without that particular negative thought? Most of the time what I'm told is, well, I would be peaceful and I would be loving and I would be kind and I would be all of those things. So that's when we have a particular irrational belief, um, we start asking questions about that. Um, and it may be a coworker at work. It doesn't have to be a family situation. I can just say my boss is always angry with me. 
um, which he just may be an angry person. It may not have anything to do with you specifically. It usually so doesn't. Of, yeah, you know, it usually <laughs> doesn't. We all, all of Absolutely. us take things personally, but really it's their own issues usually going on that make them act the way they do. So I, I help my clients to know take nothing personally just observe what's going on stay in your peaceful alignment to source and uh, take a step back if you have to and then the moment passes and what you thought in that second was so uh, repugnant to you all of a sudden is over right and you didn't engage it with negativity and pain and suffering Right. All right. But let's go on to, uh, we have so much to talk about. What is dialectical behavior therapy and what conditions are best helped by this technique? Well, dialectical behavioral therapy is a form of cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's the only cognitive behavioral therapy that actually has an 87% success rate um, in treating mood disorders, specifically things like um, bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder. And that's, again, um, it comes uh, in, in four forms. It's mindfulness, distress tolerance, emotional regulation, and interpersonal relationship skills, which, quite frankly, most all of us need. Yes. So my clients that come to me that don't have bipolar disorder usually use it in regards to depression or anxiety because, again, they learn how to regulate their emotions and allow them to pass through them instead of hanging on to them. Absolutely. So the definition of dialectical behavior therapy that you give in the book is a type of cognitive process that tries to identify and change negative thinking patterns and pushes for positive behavioral changes. So we all need Absolutely. that. Everybody needs it. Absolutely. But, of course, people who, who have depression, anxiety, bipolar, or suicidal tendencies and other destructive tendencies absolutely need it. Now, we'll go on to uh, you have worked with people with bipolar conditions and borderline personality syndrome. Many people think uh, that without medication, uh, bipolar can be, can't be handled too easily. And borderline personality, I don't know if there's medication for that. or uh, And I, I have thought that that's a very hard condition to really make major changes in. So tell us something about that. Well, borderline personality disorder, as with all personality disorders, are maladaptive coping mechanisms. So if you learn to cope differently, um, if so, again, if your behavior changes, then your personality disorder isn't necessarily a permanent condition. So I like to tell all of my clients that um, there is always hope um, for any particular illness, and it doesn't matter if it's an illness or a disorder or anything. We know um, that um, there's a lot that can be done when, again, we change our thoughts and our emotions, and then that changes our behaviors. So, um, again, with bipolar disorder, um, for people that swing wildly between um, one you know, side of mania into depression, mm-hmm. we need to be looking at things other than just medication. Um, I like to say uh, medication is very valuable. You can't shovel poop with a feather. So there are times where people absolutely need medication. Um, and then there's also a big portion of those people that need to, uh, again, not push against the law of cause and effect. 
So, again, we live on this particular planet in this particular time, and there are certain laws that govern us as human beings, kind of like gravity. Yes. So, for example, mm-hmm. I need to eat right. I need to eat right. I need to get enough sleep. I need to eat. I need to drink enough water. I need to get enough exercise. Those are all things that, again, contribute to our mental well-being. And if I'm pushing against that, if I'm acting opposite of that, and I'm staying up until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm drinking with my friends and partying and having a good time and doing whatever, um, I can't wonder the next day why my brain chemistry no longer functions well. Yeah. So... You're going, to exas- you're going to exasperate yourself into a lower right. state of functioning because you are not taking care of yourself. All right, so it's very important that a person who uh, is having trouble in any way or their family or loved ones feel that they need help, instead of rejecting help, go for these type of um, sessions where they can learn to manage their thoughts and they can see what they are doing to create some of the situations in their life so they can change. Now, not everybody will want to do that. They'll say there's nothing wrong and I'm not doing it. And it's very, very hard to help someone who won't help themselves. But we'll keep trying anyhow because we know there are there is always hope and there is always room for improvement. But let's go on to how does one begin the journey to finding their life purpose and what is the value of beginning that search? I think um, that mindfulness um, and getting in tune with your own intuition um, is the way that that happens. And mindfulness and, as you said, observation are probably mm-hmm. the, the two core elements and key elements, quite frankly, of life. So when you are able to sit for 30 minutes, And just ask the question, uh, you know, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Again, and then you just sit quietly and you begin to notice things that, again, in your surroundings that you like, things that you're drawn to, activities that you're drawn to, people that you're drawn to, events that you're drawn to. You can then start to formulate a picture um, of what that is. And then by all means, finding a mentor um, to be able to help you is lots of times um, important in helping you figure out what, what you know, your underlying life purpose is. So usually people don't have a life purpose of my life purpose is I'm going to be a dentist. What they do is they have a life purpose of my I, I'm here to assist other people or I'm here to help other people or right. heal other people. And then you're guided into a particular area. So um, you know. <laughs> as I told my children. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. As I told my children growing up, yeah, as I told my children growing up, your life purpose uh, can be assisting other people in something as simple as pumping gas. If that's what you're drawn to, um, then that's where you will be the happiest. What happens in our community and our society, though, is that we don't believe anybody is supposed to do that. Um, Everyone is supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer or do something extravagant. Um, But many times in life, that's not Again, what happens, and no. families put a lot of pressure on people to do um, what they want instead of what they're called to do. Right. You, we talked about that earlier, expectation. And, and the truth of the matter is it's not in the doing of anything. It is in the becoming and being of our soul, energy, 
towards compassion and greater love. Uh, that's the reason we're having this physical life. But I wanted to give you a little story. When I was about 17, I'm finding life purpose. <laughs> so when I was about 17 years old, I went to a Broadway show, Man of La Mancha, and I heard the song The Impossible Dream. And it was a show about a man who was very different and wanted to fight the injustices in the world. And he wanted to help others no matter the cost or difficulty. And this song suggested reaching for the stars and living gloriously. So as I found my own life plan or path uh, growing into uh, freedom, a sense of freedom for knowing more about myself, I, I sort of was not afraid to go where maybe brave men fear to go. That's also in the song. And I discovered my intuitiveness and energy healing work and um, med meditation to find the source of creation. So I did what the song awakened in me, an awakening to participating in life in whatever form that I was led to. And in my book, The Living Spirit, I wrote, Everyone has spiritual gifts, but for some, it is a life purpose, a call to be an extension of God's love and service to humanity. Uh, they grow to understand, as I did, how difficult the transition can be from the mind-centered consciousness of this dimension to realizing our true duality as spiritual beings having a human experience. When people are first called to do spiritual work, whether energy, healing, mediumship, or in my case, a combination of the two, it is quite common to doubt whether it is real. In fact, they may even doubt their own sanity. This is exponentially harder when friends and family do not believe what they are experiencing as real. So the truth is here. They don't Absolutely. yet realize so true. that we are never alone. They don't realize yet we're never alone for spirit is with us always. And whatever you feel deep in your heart that you wish to explore is your destiny and your life plan and your need. And you have to you have to sometimes face resistance from other people. But you have to go for it. Right? So true. So true. Right. Not easy. None of this is easy. It but it, it, it's it so isn't. worthwhile. Um, we can learn. Mm-hmm. And we can learn skills as yes. you um, went through that experience. Um, you learn um, to get stronger and stronger, and it, it becomes more easy and more joyful to step forward um, onto that path. Absolutely. Patience, consistency, and the will and the openness to trust. See, that's a word that's been lost also, along with a lot of other things. Trust. We take trust in a bit of children's souls away every time we say no to them. When they have their own wisdom, their intuition and connection to spirit. So we're going to ask parents today, just observe your children. Listen to them. Don't try to make them little clones of yourself. They were born. They come through us in life. But they have their own soul and destiny. I want to thank you, Deborah Meal for sharing the many holistic therapies and insights shared in your book, Joyful Transformation, undeniably necessary for improving individual health, mindfulness, awareness for self, and for achieving a more realistic view of possibilities for an authentic life. 
for more information and to purchase this detailed scientific and spiritual approach to improving your life, go to mealfoundation.org or amazon.com. In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, Deborah Meal has successfully lived through challenging times as we all have, and as a result, her understanding of many physical challenges and certain mental chemical imbalances has led her to effectively use the process of dialectical behavior therapy. And we didn't discuss this today, but in the book it's discussed very well. And a men brain healthy program, which realizes the need and value of meditation, spiritual awareness, mindfulness, and gratitude as a force for multidimensional healing and the creation of joyful transformation. As Deborah wrote, Life is for me. I am thriving and loved in a universe that conspires to help me. Another way to respond to situations which cannot be changed, one which I feel warrant its own separate chapter, is acceptance. Some call it radical acceptance. Others call it reality acceptance. Regardless of the name you choose, the concept remains the same. Complete and total acceptance of reality. We all have to accept the actual facts of life. We are all limited by our biology and our environment, by our own past behavior, and by known inevitabilities. Everything in the universe is governed by the law of cause and effect. Chlorine against this cosmic order will only bring you more pain, frustration, resentment, and suffering. Deborah and I would have you know that circumstances that present themselves or are already evident in our life story are not there randomly or purposelessly but are the means to remembering our true magnificent nature as spiritual beings having a physical life and the help that may come to us when we become aware and open to change and the possibilities for real growth I am Cheryl Glick host of Healing from Within and invite you to visit my website to hear leaders in the fields of science, spirituality, metaphysics, psychology, religion, education, and the arts and music share amazing views of truth and reality on so many levels. Shows may also be heard on DreamVision7Radio.com and WebTalkRadio.net. Thank you.